The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS. Brought to you by Mortgage CS. Become a Mortgage CS Ricky VIP at MortgageCS.com slash Ricky. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process at ProcessRealtor.com. BodyBio. Get 20% off any order at BodyBio.com with code RTRS20. And Stateside Urban Craft Vodka, the official sponsor of the Corner 3 newsletter with Zoe, StatesideVodka.com. On the show today, the Phillies set an example for our Sixers. The Celtics take another step toward our true embarrassment, uh, deep, deep, deep embarrassment. James Harden's contract options, I will... Without asking him to prepare, ask for a couple of options for from Mike for what the Sixers could do at 23. And really the star of the show this week is the mailbag. And you, the listener, have not disappointed. I did mention stateside vodka. Great news. The last time we talked about stateside, Surfside iced tea and vodka was sold out. That is not the case anymore. Once again, in stock at statesidevodka.com. That's right. Surfside iced tea and vodka just sweet enough, no carbonation, only 100 calories, and just about the best looking can of any alcoholic beverage I've ever seen. Um, The summer is time for Surfside iced tea and vodka. Get it at statesidevodka.com. Might gotta be 21 though. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Welcome to the Right Streaky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who sent the news of Joe Girardi's firing directly to Daryl Morey himself. That is one Mike Levin. That was nice. That was a nice thing to see that the Phillies were going nowhere and they fired their coach. And it's like the industrial complex of takes of people being like, this won't solve everything. It's such a bizarre thing that people do that are like ostensibly thoughtful people and across the board same with the Sixers like firing Doc Rivers would not solve all of the Sixers problems firing Joe Girardi will not solve all of the Phillies problems that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it right there's nothing, nothing. that's going to solve all of the problems you start somewhere you right. fire the clearly the wrong person to lead the organization Joe Girardi was clearly the wrong person to be doing this they weren't playing for him they weren't playing hard I love that they won two games in a row I'm happy to this is this is an Phillies podcast, but I'm happy to uh, place all of the all of the blame on Girardi, and that it's all going to turn around here. We'll see, but uh, at the very least, a step in the right direction. So Sixers could could head that way as well, but probably won't. It reminds me of the conversation when 
early in process years when people would say, well, this doesn't guarantee yada, yada, yada. Right. And my response was always, well, well, nothing guarantees it. Exactly. You have to do the best thing and for better or for worse, and many times for worse, I will not say always for better, but for better or for worse, firing the coach is the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes it is used by a general manager as like a, you know, as an excuse, as a shield, you know, but there are certain cases where it's obvious that to your point, while it will not change everything, it will change something mm-hmm. and you should just change the thing that is something. And, uh, and by the way, timing when you're going to fire the manager right before you're playing a team that is tanking, not that the angels aren't losing on purpose, but are in a, a horrible skid is a smart thing. You want a couple of wins after the change to you know, goose everybody up a little bit. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's a, and it's a similar thing with, with Doc and Girardi, which we didn't say last time was both hired by previous regimes or at least not the current head of, uh, you know, personnel right. in, in, uh, Dombrowski's case and, uh, and Daryl's case. So it's an odd little, like kind of a lame duck area anyway. Um, but anyway, I'm glad Joe Girardi's fired and at least we're at least we're rid of one of them. He was another guy. I know this isn't a Phillies podcast, but different than Doc publicly, in that Doc seems to have a seems to legitimately hate the press and oh, yeah. the fans right but away. Girardi just seemed like, and I never watched any of his Yankees pressers or anything, but like Girardi just seemed to just obviously not give a shit. Really doesn't. Really didn't give a shit whatsoever. <laughs> right. Right. So, so, um, just find, find me like a light hitting utility man that I'm going to play like four days out of the week. He's going to hit like OPS of like 645 and be like, he's actually really consistent. And just like anybody, it doesn't matter who it is. He'll find him and I'll play him over, over young guys that could ostensibly get better. So we're past that. That's good. Yes. So hopefully the the Sixers have not given up hope and they can make a move to not solve all of their problems, but maybe solve one of their problems. Sure. And MOC, MOC wrote a thing about Doc Rivers, yeah. which, which I mostly agreed with in that he's defended Doc Rivers a lot. And what he came down to was he's been a total asshole to everybody. It doesn't mean he's a bad coach. It's impossible to ignore that. Embiid has had his best two years under him. Maxi did get better under him. He's probably a top 15-ish coach in the NBA. Sure. Um, all those things true, but, you know, some of those things also important, and they've underperformed with him just like they underperformed with Brett Brown. So, yeah. Um, so I don't think that we can do any part of the podcast without talking about, you know, by the time a lot of people listen to this pod, if you're listening to it on Monday morning, there will have been a game two of the NBA finals. And, but as of right now, there hasn't been a game two of the NBA finals. There's only been one and the Celtics won it. And Al Horford scored 26 points. Mm -hmm. And we've always said, and is the, and is the best three point shooter in finals history. Yes. Great. We've always said leaving Paul Millsap as the NBA player who has played the most games without playing in the NBA finals. We've always said that the, we were, the, we've always been smirking with the, we were right thing. You know, the, the opening song, even when it went wrong, we were right. But 
at this point right now with the Celtics up 1-0 in the finals and Al Horford (laughs) starring on the team, it really will test the limits of how far we're going to push this because we don't have to claim the Al Horford (laughs) signing as, and then as ours, that's, I don't think that that, you know, people, people sort of use, they cherry pick what, what is the, what is a process move that they can feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, high and mighty about, but Al Horford is a good player. It was a useful player here. He was just a horrible fit with Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, another guy who's like not a quick shooter. Al, Al has improved his, I think, I don't know if the to I don't know if there's like a statistic or like a, a time clock on it, uh, the way there would be to like a uh, like a pitcher uh, how fast their delivery is or whatever. But um, the Horford has sped up his shooting. He he can catch it and get it off quicker than he had when he was in Philadelphia. But still, like it's just it was never a good fit giving thirty million dollars to that guy. Over a long stretch of time, it seemed like the contract was entirely motivated by spite of being like, ha, we got your guy. And then it was like, fuck, he doesn't fit here. But we got we got yours. So that's probably fuck. And Boston <laughs> wasn't good for, you know, they, they did have a, a, a bad year or two in there. So I guess in some sense it worked. But it wasn't that Horford was bad. He was fine here. He was totally fine. Especially, I mean, he's obviously Joel's best backup that he's ever had. And, and with him and Ben was a fine pairing. Uh, when Joel was off the court, but it was just that like, why do you want to pay thirty million dollars to a guy who you don't want on the court when your best player is on the court? That was it, that was the main issue. It did seem to piss off Embiid too. Yes, you know, yeah. which was I think honestly the biggest problem out of all of it. He Correct. does Horford this year does look springier than when he was here. Well, he had a year off. Yeah, that's not a bad point. But okay, do you think? I was always a Brett Brown defender. I continue to defend Brett Brown. But if they didn't have Ben Simmons, but they did have Ben Simmons, so it doesn't matter. Let's Mm -hmm. rewind it again. Let's say we're in this position right now. And the point guard of the team, the backcourt is Maxi and Harden. And let's say they get an upgraded version of Danny Green, a more current version of Danny Green. Wingy. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges. Do you think that the Horford and Embiid thing could work? Yes. And yes, you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think it would have been perfect. Well, he's playing with just, Rob Williams. Just you know? Yeah, just the same way that I don't think like him and Robert Williams is like the perfect pairing, although it has worked because they can cycle guys in, and Grant Williams is a great third option there. Um, and they have guys that defend all up and down the court and guys that can shoot and, and all, you know, penetrate and, and kick a little bit. Um, but absolutely. It's the fact that there was Ben Simmons, who obviously wasn't shooting off the catch, Tobias Harris, who was obviously reluctant shooting off the catch, Horford, who is slow shooting off the catch and has sped it up, um, and Embiid, who you don't want to be doing that. And then poor, was it Danny? It would have been, no. Who was the third? Who, Josh Richardson. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was, it wasn't great. Like it wasn't, it, that, there was no shooters off the catch that you were like sick. We got, we, we got this one. It was, it was an unpleasant pairing uh, for all of them. But yeah, absolutely. If it was, if it was Maxie and Harden and Mikhail 
it would have been fine. I think even Harden is a tough, tough guy because he's also pretty reluctant off the catch. But like if it was Horford and Embiid and three guys that could catch and shoot and also penetrate a little bit, absolutely. That would have been totally fine. They, you would have still tried to stagger them just for the sake of defense. You don't want Horford defending the perimeter that much. It's still not a strength of his at this point in his career. Um, but he's still, you know, great in the post, great help side defender, like just a, a heady guy out there. But it was it was the fact that there was just nobody out there for the primary offense was give the ball to Joel in the post and then they could just double him as much as they wanted because there were six guys in the paint. Everybody was cutting in the paint. It was just like paintball. It was just like everybody was in here as if the court was like just that little area. That's the painted area around the foul line. Like that's the, all it was. There was no other part of the court. Uh, so yeah, that was. I think that was more of the issue. Which it's easy to blame on Al Horford, and he wasn't like you know he did piss Joel off, and he didn't seem like he, you know, he seemed like he was a tough hang when he was here. Um, but he got along uh, with Ferk very well. I well, remember. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's good. Maybe so, yeah. Cork might as well get that that trade request in any any minute now. That'll that'll lock in for sure but yeah i think it was it was easy to blame horford but i don't think it was ultimately his fault so much as it was like how horrible of a fit that team was for doubling down on size and no shooting whatsoever in a in like a modern nba maybe that maybe that team works better in like 1997 but i don't don't know congratulations to tim who was a ricky listener who lived in austin texas and he was coming to purchase a home in the philly area and he needed someone to help him with a mortgage. He went to Mortgage CS. He sent us a note, he said, expect a full write-up on Ben and the team. Not sure what I would have done without them. We, I moved from Austin back to PA. Just one of the Ricky listeners who has told us about the amazing experience with Mortgage CS. Go to mortgagecs.com slash Ricky. Mortgagecs.com slash Ricky. Learn about Mortgage CS. See the amazing little microsite they built for us with all the little cool uh, graphics on there. And that's where you become a Mortgage CS Ricky VIP. Mortgage CS is not like the other mortgage uh, brokers or lenders that you hear from. Now they are a broker, which means they're not giving you the money. Their job is to do two things. First of all, to find the best mortgage lender for you. And they have no ties with any of these banks. So their one customer is you, not any of the banks. They're going to get you the best rate. But also Mortgage CS wants you to know about how all of this works. You should be informed as a consumer. You're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a, on a home. You're, you're taking out a loan for this money. You should know about it. And Mortgage CS really committed to that. Uh, Alec and Ben, who run Mortgage CS, have separately told me that that is the most important thing to them is that you know something about getting a mortgage when you walk away, not that you get it with them. Of course, they'd love if you get it with them, but they want you to be informed. You can call or text Ben at any time. This is his cell phone, 267-391-7425, 267-391-7425. And that's important to be able to do it at any time because when you're going through this process of buying a home, you could need a pre-qualification letter at seven in the morning on Saturday. You could need a Friday night at 10 and you need a mortgage broker who is with you every step of the way. And Mortgage CS does that. Go to mortgagecs.com slash Ricky. We believe in them. Our Ricky listeners believe in them. You should believe in them too. You can call or text Ben at 267-391-7425 at any time. Make sure you tell them you're a Ricky listener um, and check out all the Google reviews, over 200 five-star reviews and more coming in. And a shortened, abbreviated disclaimer. 
This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal opportunity housing broker. All loans subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS 1464766. Visit mortgagecs.com slash Ricky for more information. Thank you, Mortgage CS, for the shortened uh, disclaimer. The last thing I wanted to bring up on the, uh, the, the finals talk, and we haven't discussed this before, is that Nick Stauskas could get a ring. And as an emailer pointed out, I'll give him credit later, would be the first process sixer if we don't count JaVale McGee to get a ring. Disagree. Jake Fisher was texting me about this. Oh. There's a couple other ones. You count JaVale McGee or there's other process sixers? Okay. Um, Jordan McRae. Was with Cleveland? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And Lorenzo Brown was on that final, on the Raptors final team at some point during that season. Did he get a ring? I think if he's on the team, you get a ring. Okay. All right. Point. Well, then I'd say Lorenzo and Brown is a, an absolute yes. one for and sure. And also Summer League Alex Caruso, Summer League Sixer. Do you think, feel good for Stauskas at all getting a championship, um, even under these circumstances? <sighs> sure. Yeah, sure. I do. Sure. Sure. Why not? Uh, but I don't think I don't want him to get a ring. I do think that this is we had um, Lightyear's podcast host Samus Fandiari on last week, and uh, I did worry that by accepting our support, he was cursing the team. Um, and I was right. Like, why would you want the Sixers' support and Sixers' fan support? We are we are nothing but bad vibes. <laughs> Yep. Um, the the Warriors falling apart in the fourth quarter <laughs> to a Celtics team. That, I mean, just like clearly the you know the suspect is us. We did it. It's our fault. Um, so that's tough. That's a tough yeah. hit, and it was yep. a tough tough to see them. You know, you're right. I mean, you made the point that I do. We do. I do like a lot of the players on the Celtics, but the the it's still hard to see the people in those jerseys celebrating. Yeah. Uh, real, real rough, real rough. Do you think this was a game to me that was, we see a lot of games in the, in the NBA that are swung so much by three point shooting. And one of the reasons I didn't trust the Celtics is that I do not trust them in close games at the end of the game. Now, if they win games by 12 or 15 points, then, then that doesn't happen. Do you see this more as a sort of shooting, not aberration, but look, they shot well in the fourth is what it is. Warriors still win or cause you, you picked the Warriors as well. I, I don't think you were as sure as I was that the Warriors were going to win or Sam, but you did pick them. Does, does the, does game one change what you think of the the series at all or no? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, I think, I was watching that game, and, and we do this with the Sixers a lot, where you're like, I was watching the Warriors thinking, why are they not up by more? It mm-hmm. seems like they should be up by a lot more, and it was like a four-point game, and it was like a six-point game, and it's just like, this should be this should be 12 or 15 at this point, just yep. by the way they were playing, but Boston just kept getting, like, chipping away and keeping it close. And then in the fourth, just like, it, it wasn't so much, obviously the Celtics had shots, but the, the Warriors' offense seemed st- pretty stuck. Uh, in a way that you don't often see them, and that the Celtics defense is incredible. They really, really, they play their asses off, and they're big, and they're and they're switchable, and they just, um, you know, 
tamped any any real movement and easy offense down. I think the Warriors will bounce back. I, I think I had it in six or seven. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I don't. I just really don't want the Celtics to win. <laughs> like, I just I don't have. It's not like ultimately changing. I'm just like I'm now. I'm invested. If if yeah, if the Warriors had blown them out, I would have been like, all right, cool. Like watching the finals, enjoying it. And, like this will get there. But now I'm just like more like staking my level of uh like it needs to be life affirming if the Celtics lose. Like I need them to lose this because they should have lost the heat. Jimmy should have hit that shot. And that would have felt great, but they need, they really need to lose. So predictions, I don't know. I just need it to happen. I keep like, I keep telling myself and I've said this and I believe it, but the more I say it out loud, the more it sounds like I'm trying to convince myself that you weren't allowed to take Jason Tatum with the first pick. You, you, they were never going to get Tatum. They, they had the third pick. Boston was going to take Tatum with the first pick if they had to. They, 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 there was no way it was going to end up like this. There was no way it was going to end mm. up like this. But the more I say it, the more of a lie it feels like that I'm lying to myself. Sort of like the Sixers ownership wouldn't let Sam Hinkie take Chris Tepp's Porzingis sure. lie, which is sure. a, a lie. So, There's been a lot of things that we've told ourselves over the years <laughs> and a lot of very upsetting things we've had to convince ourselves, including that like Zaire's one sesame allergy from being the best defender in the league. Right, right. Um, right. Well, that's a, that's a Mike special. <laughs> for sure. And you know, look good last night, speaking of Mike special, or that night, Derek White looked very good. He, he's just he did. He's just a really good player. Um, did you see Zaire is shout out Jake Pavorsky is playing in the basketball tournament this year? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. still like 22. He's very, he's extremely young. So we'll yeah. see. I I'll, I would love to be, I would love for a Zaire redemption. I, I don't know that he, he doesn't seem like he's, uh, I don't know. He doesn't seem like he's like that smart of a player at this point. No. And he was really getting by on his athleticism and his like work ethic. But like, it's easy once you fall out, once you fall out of getting like a regular contract, it's, it's I think really hard to like break back in with two way spots. I think it's easier, but anyway, we don't even talk about Zaire. Yeah. Zaire. So speaking of Zaire, with the, we are, uh, what, two and a half weeks away from the draft. We will be having our big board special pod. We will, we always have a draft expert on. We will do that as well. We'll have a draft night show that I will not be taking part in actually for the first time ever. Not because I'm boycotting the draft, but because I won't be here. Sixers hold the 23rd pick. We do think it's possible I don't know if it's likely, but it's certainly possible they they pick that player and trade him right away. But it's also possible they get a useful player at 23, which Mike has said repeatedly is actually very easy. Extremely easy. I have two questions for you. One, could you give us two or three players just off the top of your head that you think could be a, a choice for the Sixers at 23? And I was curious, given your 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 idea that it is easy to find a role player at that point. Do you have sort of a ranking as to what position is easiest to find a role player, whether it's wing or center or, or whatever? First of all, the, the two or three players, do you have people who are, who are on your mind already? Yeah, I would, I'm assuming. So, so Memphis picks right before them, which, which means that they're going to take whoever I want immediately, immediately before them. So let's all just stipulate that, that that's going to happen. Um, I'm assuming that, uh, Tari Eason, who's a six, eight wing on LSU, um, and Oshai Abaji, who is a, a six, 
seven wing on from Kansas and Kendall Brown, who is a freshman from Baylor, who's really talented. Um, also a wing, all three of those guys, I'm assuming we're going to be gone by that point. Um, we can get into the more specifics of those guys on the big board pod, but that's, those are my assumptions. Um, and I would say these aren't necessarily the guys that I would want or ha- how I'd rank them. I'm trying to uh, build, build up hype for the my big board, which obviously yeah. the people in the world are, are clamoring for. Um, but these are the three guys that I see most often linked to the Sixers at 23. Okay. Number one is a guy that everybody's been talking about, which is EJ Liddell. He is a six, let's say, what do they list him at? One second. I, I was going to say six, eight, six, seven. They list him at six, seven, but he's long um forward from ohio state um he has expanded his game to be more of a jump shooter um shot 3.8 threes per game this year as a junior shot 37 percent from from three always a solid foul shooter um the idea of him is a small ball five that can also play some four in the grant williams pj tucker mold um physical uh, also a pretty good shot blocker and has and ha- played center at Ohio State a lot of the time and uh, and could project to do that in a pinch in 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 the NBA maybe more if if uh, if he's not going up against a sort of like guy that he's just you know completely demolished by size wise okay. but he's a smart player he really plays hard he uh, reformed his body a little bit he was as a freshman and sophomore he was a much thicker guy um, and I think he's toned he's like the book on him is that he like toned up and got got stronger and got a little slimmer and e- more easily move his feet on the perimeter and that kind of thing. So I think he'd be a really really solid, really really solid role player. There's there's just not as far as what it's if it's easy as far as an easy pick. EJ Liddell easy pick. Like he's going to be a role player in the NBA, no doubt in my mind, hundred percent can't miss role player and could be nice as a, as a stretch five like all that stuff like gonna be fine. Okay. Um, I I question a little bit move, movement on the perimeter, um, but he's but he's going to be a totally fine player. Wouldn't be a home run, but would be fine player. Uh, next up, Wendell Moore Jr. from Duke. He's six five, like wing, all the classic wing type. Also also a junior. Um, was a big recruit out of uh, coming out of high school, but was al- almost immediately fit into the role player mode at Duke. Um, and was just like extremely helpful player. I think there are pe- some people look at him and think he has more potential. I kind of don't. I think he's just like a really solid two-way player that can shoot a little bit. He's improved his percentages every year. He was a Duke from barely shooting threes as a freshman to sh- shooting 30% as a sophomore to shooting 41% on high volume as a, as a junior. Um, his free throw attempts were always there. He's a solid free throw shooter and just like plays hard defensively, gets his hands in there, has, has become a helpful player. Pretty much like the classic like bench wing type of player. Um, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be totally very solid. Um, and then, so th- these, those are two guys that people, the book on them is like, they, they could, they're going to be role players. They're going to be totally fine. A guy that I really like a lot, really like a lot very much. Cause I don't, I don't love those guys. I think they're going to be fine, but I, I don't love those guys. One of my favorite players in the draft class is uh, this guy from Arizona. whose name is Dalen Terry. Mm-hmm. Dalen with a D. 
Um, he seems like a very Mike name in the draft. Cool. Actually. I like that. It's also yeah. Mike name in that he, uh, he averaged eight points per game this year and I oh, love him. Nope. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so that sounds, that sounds right. No, he's, he's awesome. He played, he, he, he's like extremely high energy. Uh, he's long, he's six, seven. He, he can handle the ball. He can really defend. Um, he gets out in the open court. He like dunks with like ferocity and he's, his three point, like the book on him is that he's not a not a great shooter, but has improved his percentages year to year. I think he's going to be a totally fine shooter in the NBA. I just think he's like, as far as guy who's a dog, guy who brings energy, guy who would dive on the floor, loose balls, and be like physical and and like set the tone. He's a guy I really really like a lot. I think his athleticism absolutely pops and will pop on an NBA court. Um, and he's a smart passer. He averaged three point nine assists per game this year, not as the primary not as really the primary point guard on, on a good, really good Arizona team. Um, there was, there were other like score. Arizona was great this year and they had a ton of scores that they had to like give the ball to Ben Matherin is going to be uh, a lottery pick. Um, and they had a number of other guys that were, that, that needed the ball a lot. So, um, so Dalen was as, as a secondary ball handler to their point guard, he had to like take a backseat and a lot, fill, fill the lane. But I think, He's definitely going to be a role player, and I think he could keep expanding his game because he's really, really good. Um, and he's a guy I'd be very, very excited about, and I'm probably going to rank too high. I cannot support, and I'll, I'll, I'll look at the YouTube, but I have a lot of trouble like supporting anybody who is in college and can only score seven points a game. Eight. Eight. <laughs> I, just, I just can't. I can't. Eight points a game. I, and, he was, points he was, a game. and he was like... Uh, yeah, he's awesome. He's he kicks ass. You're gonna love him. You're, you're, I'm telling you, you're gonna like this guy. All right, sounds like a fucking G leaguer to me. But no, whatever. No, no. All right. He's All good. Right. Okay. I talked before about mortgages. How about and then no, wait? Sorry, you oh. you asked me about the the rank. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Well, I hold that. We, hold that. I, can okay. you do it right after? I can do it right after. I just want to keep the 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 timing. Uh, we will get which position that Mike thinks is easiest to draft a role player at right after I talk about Adam Kasabi. I talked about mortgages earlier with Mortgage CS. That is only one part of the home buying process. The realtor is super important. Also, somebody who needs to know the ins and outs of how these things work, needs to, you know, uh, be able to give advice, needs, you know, when I go to my realtor, hey, how much should I bid over? I'm not looking for you to ask me how much I want. I want you to tell me what the number is. Adam Kasebe, the official realtor of the process, K-S-E-B-E, is a true, true um, asset in your buying a home. Now, specifically, Adam specializes in the Delaware beaches where you should be looking if you're looking for a beach home, not in Jersey. No, 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 no. Taxes are too high. You want to look in Delaware. You get better deals on homes and lower taxes, K-S-E-B-E. -E. No matter what you're looking for, if you're looking for something quiet like Lewis, you're looking for something, you know, a little bit closer to what the Jersey Shore is like, like Rehoboth or, uh, or uh, uh, Dewey or something like that, Adam Kasabi is going to help you. In fact, his entire team, which is based out of Long and Foster in uh, Bethany Beach, covers all of Delaware, all of Maryland, also can help you sell your home. But if you're not looking, Delaware, Maryland, whatever, Kasabi also is going to be your source for getting a realtor in that you're going to call him or text him 302-864-8643. That's 302-864-8643. Tell him where you're looking and he will find the right realtor for you. He's got a network of realtors all across the country and he knows the right people to go to. He'll interview them for you. He will find the right person for you. So many of our listeners have gone to Adam 
all of them have been happy with him. Again, 302-864-8643. That is the phone number. That's a cell. Call or text anytime or email adam at processrealtor.com. Adam Kasebe, K-S-E-B-E, the official realtor of the process. Okay, tell me, which is the position that is easiest or which is the, I don't know, the skill set that is easiest? I think finding a playable somewhat two-way wing is the easiest thing to do. And like three and D is overrated. The idea that there's like a million of them, that's I don't think that's the case. There's not actually plus plus defenders and plus plus shooters out there. Mikael Bridges is an example of one who is like incredible and has turned himself into like a really good player and additionally like added more elements to his offensive game. It's not easy to find those kinds of guys, but it's easy to find a wing who will be athletic, who will compete, and who is like not a total zero as a, as a shooter. I think those are easy things. They're out there all the time. I think it is easy to find a center who can like be plainly playable. I mean, like Charles Bassey is an example of that. You can just you can find plenty of those guys. If you don't draft them too high and expect too much of them, I think it's easy to find those kinds of guys. There's not that many stretch fives, which is why EJ Liddell is interesting. If he can be a legitimate shooter and a legitimate rim protector, which he was in college, then that's a, then that's a pretty special player in, as far as unique goes. I think it's hard to find a point guard that will be able to impact the game at a high level um, while not while also hanging defensively. Like, how good do you have to be on offense to make up for generally your size deficiencies uh, on defense? And like guys that like I loved, obviously I loved Shake at SMU, and. The fact that he was a shooter and a big, big ball handler and stuff, but he wasn't that quick. And it's like he has gotten some opportunities in the NBA to be the a lead guard of be like run an offense. But how good do you have to be to like really mm-hmm. earn that kind of thing? And like Monte Morris is an example of a guy who was just like a really, really solid player at Iowa State and never turned the ball over and was just like extremely helpful. And that has translated to the NBA. He's still short defensively, but he tries he tries very hard and he doesn't make those mistakes. But how it's hard to find guys that are just not like, oh, this guy's gonna get totally swallowed up. Like Cassius Winston at Michigan State was like really solid, but like just wasn't wasn't able to hasn't been able to do much at the NBA level because of his size, because of his lack of speed, those kinds of things. So there's I think point guard, I think point guard is difficult because you need those, obviously. You're looking you're you're talking about the Celtics right now and how like you don't quite trust them because they don't have a a point guard that could really like be steady on the floor and sometimes Tatum or Brown makes bad decisions or Smart makes bad decisions. Um, you need those kinds of things to to help a basketball team, but um, I think it's hard to find guys that aren't aren't just going to get absolutely run over on defense. If I would whittle it down to this, see if you agree with this, I think the reason that center and point guard are harder is they just have more responsibility on the court, and there's only one of them generally on right, that, right, on, right, right, right. Rather, there's three. You could have three spots that could be for wings rather yep. than one free. So, you, so it is. It's. If you swing and miss, at least if it's like, okay, this guy never shot, but at least he's a really good defender. This guy can't quite defend as much as we want, or this guy can't penetrate as much as we thought he would, um, but at least he can shoot. Like those kinds of things. You can you can find a role for them rather than if a center, if you fail on a center, you fail on a point guard, they're just they're just on the bench taking up a spot. The hard to stomach YouTube comment of the week. Uh, you can leave comments on YouTube and perhaps we'll get to one of yours. This comes to from MLG Pro Swag 69, which is an incredible name. Maxi is the new shake. 
Go back and listen to the Bubble podcast, and you'll hear, you'll hear him being considered as an untouchable future cornerstone, as Maxi is talked about now without the future star talk. I was pro trading Shake then because I felt we could maximize his value and turn what I perceived as a solid guy into a legit starter the way he seemed to be valued. To me, that signals that while it may hurt, now is the ideal time to trade Maxi and turn someone I think tops out as a good starter into a legit star. I still think there's a world Utah chooses Gobert in their current system over Mitchell. And I think Maxi Tobias in 23 could entice Utah as legit pieces to build around Rudy. Uh, um, so I obviously disagree. Yeah. First of all, I think Shake is going to have a better year at some point, maybe next, maybe next year. God than bless. He had last year's tough, tough injury year. Mm-hmm. I think the difference between Maxi and Shake is pedigree. I know that you're looking at like he had a good second year and then we should sell high, but Shake played three years at SMU, was like a fine recruit, and then came to the NBA and played two seasons and, and popped a little bit in the bubble season. Maxi was an incredibly high recruit, went to Kentucky for one season, and has played two seasons in the NBA. So Maxi is two, two or three years younger, like skill development-wise, than Shake was at that time. And, and Maxi's already better. Um, I think the... Yes, the idea of selling high on a, on a player like that, I, I hear, I totally hear the logic of it. I think it's interesting. Um, I think maybe they could have done that with Matisse last year or something like that. But as far as a guy that has shown that much improvement, you really are, you really run the risk of looking like a total fucking idiot if you trade a guy that has kept has already gotten that that much better and plays with the kind of spirit that Maxi plays with. And then you just you you're thinking you're selling high, but it turns out like you're actually really not. Well, the other thing too is you really have to be sure about who you're getting. I think I'm more open to listening to maxi deals than you are, but I would be very skeptical at a an upgrade that isn't putting you in a position where you're pretty confident that you're gonna be a title contender and not just, you know, sort of hoping and praying. And Look, I, I, I think we could go back to our podcast and I'm sure we were overvaluing Shake Melton at the time. No, but that's I would what, never, I would, I've never done that. I've never overvalued but anybody. That's what we do. I, like, I, for me to come this far on Maxi is something. You know, I, I don't, I think he probably tops out a little lower than everybody else thinks he tops out, but that's still pretty high. And, I think most of it, a lot of it goes to my lack of confidence that any possible maxi trade you're putting is turning this team into a, a title contender yeah, right which now. Which I agree with. I, yeah. I mean, the the odds of him making an all-star team at some point are very high. Tyrese Maxi, D'Angelo Russell made an all-star game at one point. Like, the odds of it happening for so, in some season, maybe it's a season where somebody gets hurt or whatever, but like, he has the the skill set and the ability and the like, just he plays his ass off. And and the fact that it's not it's not just that he's really good and he's gotten better this quickly. It's that like he fills such a need on this team to be a guy that can penetrate and get to the basket and play hard and play fast that like nobody else currently does. Like you would you would need to be trading for a guy that's so good that covers up those things and then you can find you you have to like it's like plugging one hole when leaving another and in addition in addition to that like he's really 
young, the idea of having him cost controlled for like seven more seasons at like an underpay is the value of that is extremely high. So you got to be, it's got to be like, there's maybe like 10 to 12 guys in the league I would trade Maxi for. Like, and you got to make the money work and all that stuff. And those guys wouldn't be willing to be traded, all that stuff. So I think it's just very unlikely. And I, I really, I would be extremely, extremely cautious for it because, because of how good he is and how necessary he is to this team. And Maury has been cautious with it because me, along with a lot of other people, were all about throwing Maxi in in the first iteration of the Simmons trade, the Simmons Harden trade the year before. And he didn't do it. And he didn't do it again this year, which maybe it was a little less obvious that that you should. And you know, there were more people. So he has been protective, I would say, against mm-hmm. trading for him. But who knows when and we'll get into a second when we get into the mailbag, what like I don't know that he'll panic. Sixers are not in a great spot right here. No. They're just they're not. And you worry you worry about general managers who are in a position where they may only have one swing left, you know, taking that swing when they shouldn't because they're itchy. So we'll see. Lorenzo Brown Mailbag, writes to rickysanchez at gmail.com, writes to rickysanchez at gmail.com. You send us one basketball, one non-basketball question. This comes from PJ. Hey gang, not gonna lie. It's nice to be back in full off-season mode. This is a question I haven't heard anybody ask. Basketball question. What is a realistic tweak to James Harden's game that you would like to see this season? I'm interested in seeing him try some more mid-range pull-ups to give a little variety in his dribble attack. I hadn't thought about this. Is there anything that pops off as obvious to you that you'd like to see him tweak aside from like the obvious? Yeah, the obvious thing given, is like finding his burst back. Right. Like, let's say that's not going to happen. Let's sure. say, you know, what, what Maury and Embiid have said, he's a different player. Mm-hmm. What is, what is a, a reasonable, possible thing that he could add? I think the obvious thing is a more willing catch-and-shoot game. That's what, mm-hmm. if, if he can be, you know, he, he resorts to the step back so much. And that can be a weapon, and it has been a weapon in his career. But I just, it, it, it is so, that kind of offense just is not, the the kind that like I feel like his teammates love to play. Like I feel like if I was if I was watching a guy, you, you get good offense out of like swing the ball, swing the ball, and then catch and shoot three. Like that feels like good offense. Whereas Harden isolating and doing and acting like he's in 2018 and then going into a step back is just it feels like it's just bailing out the defense. Nobody has to move. Nobody's involved. Like it feels like it it just it, it slows everything down and makes everybody like kind of roll their eyes as they're going back up the court. So I would love more catch and shoot. People have been saying that about Harden for a long time. I don't think a mid-range jumper necessarily is going to do it, but I think his floater is is something he's more confident in um, and something he can go to at certain points. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I if he can become like, I mean, if I, I feel like I've said this about 40 different guys, but like late career Jason Kidd, where he's distributing, he's shooting off the catch, he's... Uh, you know, a little bit better of a, like drawing, drawing fouls, but not like trying so hard to do it that he like upends the offense. That would be really nice. That would be really helpful. Um, and I think, you know, pie in the sky, a little more off ball movement, you know, leveraging his shooting attack and, and his handling and dribble and uh, penetration with like some back cuts and stuff to make it feel like there's some more, more movement in that sense. 
would say f- floater and less foul grifting is yeah. is number one for me. And number two is you can't play this slow all the time anymore. Like yeah. you you got to push the ball. You you it, the uh, the days of you coming in like looking at the defense and surgically you know figuring out what to do like it just we can't waste those four seconds anymore with you fucking walking the ball up so yeah i agree i mean he does he's the only guy on the team that is that like does hit aheads and he is um he is helpful to fast breaks just because of how good of good and willing of a passer he is um and having more guys that can run the floor in addition to just maxi because basically it was really just maxi that would ever receive any of those outlets um would be nice but uh but yes, as far as him like assessing the the defense and and calling over a switch and going from like very slowly and all that stuff, I think that I think that slows everything down. We care about your health at the Ricky. That's why we care about your hydration because you're made up like of sixty percent water, which is why Body Bio is here. Body Bio is a supplement company that is a Ricky sponsor, trusted Ricky sponsor, been with us for a while now. Body Bio, family-owned, family-operated, right here in the area, in Jersey, Body Bio is. And, you know, the fact that they are a family-owned, family-operated, sort of small and nimble supplement company is important because this sort of stuff, the science on this changes really quickly. They care about your health. They care about your head. They care about your gut. But hydration, since you're mostly water is super important. Hydration is not just about drinking water though. In fact, that can actually fuck you up. You need the evening out of the water. It is water and electrolytes. Instead of drinking those drinks that have sugar or artificial sweeteners or artificial flavors, Body Bio has something better for you. It's called E-Lite. Less than 10 bucks, get you a bottle of it. And if you use code RTRS20, it'll take you 20% off. I suggest you just try it. What E-Lite is, is just the electrolytes. No Sugar, no artificial colors, no artificial sweeteners. You just take a capful in the morning, put it in whatever you drink, whether it's water or seltzer or juice, whatever it is, and then do a capful at night and it will help regulate your body's uh, hydration. It's super important. It's not just water, it's the electrolytes too. And to do it without any of that extra stuff is amazing. It solved the problem for me. I would get cramps all the time in my calves, in my feet, in my thighs. The cramps gone after two days of using Elite. 100%, I'm telling you, give it a try. No one, I've always said, I will give you your money back. If you don't like it, I promise you will like it. Um, and no one has taken me up on that. So maybe they're just lazy. Go to bodybio.com, use code RTRS20, gives you 20% off Elite or anything else at the website. Bodybio.com, that is Elite, spell it with a Y, RTRS20 for 20% off. Spike is essentially a returns desk. If you don't like anything you ever buy, <laughs> just come to him. Doesn't even matter. Our sponsor or not? He's yeah, happy to feel it. Yeah, you don't like your mortgage? Well, take it back. <laughs> come to me. PJ's non-basketball question. I can't think of a good one. Here's your jigsaw. Option one: for the rest of your life, you have a roommate who sucks. They're not mean or inappropriate. They just do all the little things that bother you and your family. They're in your home about seventy percent of the time. It never becomes normal. They find new ways to be weird, annoying, and obnoxious until the day you die. Option two: you are addicted to picking your nose and eating your boogers. Mm. You hate this about yourself and you find it disgusting, but you consistently succumb to this urge. Let's say two to three boogers an hour, but you do it even more compulsively in public. There's no hiding it. It's gross and people notice. I feel like the first one is essentially you have like a shitty dog. Like the description is just like your dog's annoying and he like 
fucks up everything, which we were dog sitting for a dog that was yeah. That was a tough hang. Sorry to hear. Uh, at a certain point. But uh, we love the dog, which is like tough, tough. Uh, yeah. Just a puppy. So too much. Yeah. But uh, it is why I appreciate my dog, who is a good boy. You need so. a chill. You need a chill dog. You yeah. need to have a chill dog. I'm not, you know, I don't know. You need a chill dog. But the, Wait, have you ever had a bad roommate? Um, Andrew Sharp. What? No, he's great. I love Sharp. Yeah, I, he was a delight. Uh, um, no, no, I've had... Okay. I've my my freshman roommate in college is still one of my best friends. We ran, randomly got paired up together, um, and we lived together for almost the entire college experience. And then, yeah, good friends. I mean, essentially, it's it's either a dog or Alyssa becomes a real shithead. Yeah. Um, so this will be tough, but uh, I'll probably go. I'll 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 pick the that it's a that it's like a pet that is shitty, but I love them anyway. So I've had bad roommates. The thing that you're missing out on, I think, though I don't think it's going to change the calculus on my decision, the thing that you're missing out on is how much, how mad it makes you. Sure. Like how much you end up, this person is only slightly inconvenient, but because they're around so much, you hate them. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of bad roommates, college, and it made me so mad. And I was so happy to be free of them. <sighs> I would pick the roommate thing because at least it's just me. But then you get, remember, you, you're going to be married. So you're choosing this for your, for Alyssa as well, which right. is tough. I can't be the eats his own boogers guy. Like I'll be known as a lot of things, but I cannot be that. Even just saying it makes me nauseous. So, so I'm going to go with the, the roommate thing, but I think it's pretty tough. Hey, Spike, Mike, and CJ, this comes from Josh. I'm visiting Atlanta, and while at Sweetwater Brewing today, Friday, June 3rd, around 5.45 p.m., a guy walked toward me wearing a red rights to Ricky Sanchez process or die shirt. I said, hey, I'm down with TTP, loud enough to get a few funny looks when other people are in my vicinity. And this fellow listener just kept walking and did not even (laughs) acknowledge me. Smart. If you read this, I feel like he will know it is him and just wanted to let him know he missed out on a chance to meet a fellow listener in the wild. Keep wow. up the good work, guys. Fire talk. Uh, that's very good. I like that. <laughs> I like the idea that you the idea that you get so excited to see someone in a in a f- random city wearing a shirt of a this extremely specific podcast and then not get a r- result out of it is yeah. very funny to me. First it's of all, tough. my and a nice pride shirt that you're wearing. Nice pride, Ricky pride shirt. Happy pride month to all. Um, oh, me. I'm wearing one. Yeah. To anyone not watching. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would, if that person who was in Atlanta wearing a Ricky shirt and did not realize that someone called after them, I'd like, I would like them to yeah. email in and, and uh, defend themselves for that. Unless they were just like, honestly, I just don't want to fucking talk to somebody about the Sixers. If it's that, if that's the case, then great. <laughs> then a great ignore. I like a, uh, I, I support a, I'm going to pretend like I don't see this uh, action in the wild. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just want to like, know the story. I just want to know the story. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I've had a couple of them outside my building in New York while coworkers are there and I, I have to do it. it I host the podcast, so I have to do it and I've done sure. it. it is crushing. And then I got a message last night, um, a, uh, a former, or still co-worker, a uh, friend of mine uh, was with a Ricky listener and I got a DM last night on Instagram 
with the photo of her and this Ricky listener. And the question was, are you down with TTP? And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to write this yeah, to never, somebody. Yeah. Never want to do it. So, can't do it. Hey, Matt. Have to do. So this comes from Dan, non-basketball question. We could be just days away from a timeline in which the Atlanta Braves, Boston Celtics, and New York Rangers are all defending champions. And the longest tenured Philly coach is Nick Sirianni. Are the sports gods still getting back at us for the Super Bowl? <laughs> mm. you, you know. When you put it all together like that. Yeah. I forgot about the Braves. Yep. Uh, no, it isn't good. It isn't good. It isn't a good time. <laughs> I was born in 1989. And so I've only read and heard about the early 80s being mm -hmm. like a glory days of Philadelphia yeah. sports. I was alive, but too young. And just the idea that that would all happen and coalesce right now. Like early 2000s Eagles and, and Sixers were pretty good. And I guess the Flyers were pretty good too. Um, but the Phillies were horrendous at that point. And then in 08, the Sixers were horrendous. Um, and the Eagles were, Eagles were, I mean, I guess the Eagles had a good, decent run in there with a couple down years. And then 18, like it just hasn't been good. It hasn't been a ton of consistency for a while. Like I would, I need an, I would love an era where like, someone in the world is going, man, these Philly teams keep winning. <laughs> right. Enough with these Philly teams. Yeah. Too much would, Philly winning. Yeah. I would like that. I think, I feel like we're owed that and it will never happen. Um, and we missed our chance maybe once a century. Final email comes from Jacob. Hey, Spike, Mike and CJ. I hope you guys are all doing well. Writing today with some questions. One of them might be a sensitive topic given your guys' relationship with Daryl. So I get it if it can't be addressed. I would like to say off the top, Though we have a, a good and friendly relationship with Daryl, I nor Mike, and or I don't mean to speak for you, would have any problem criticizing him whatsoever. Not even, he does a job that he, that our job is to be critical of him for. So until Mike starts writing a sitcom based on his life, mm. I, think, I think we're probably fine. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. It, maybe if Daryl like let me like stay at his house for a while, then I would mm -hmm. probably have to like cool it a little bit, but that hasn't happened yet. So no. basketball uh, so question, good. basketball question. Do you guys think that Maury has a leash on him right now? Or do you think his job is in any sort of danger? He's been here for only two years and he's faced unique adversities, but I wonder how long he will be given this pass. This only comes to mind now seeing that Doc is, un, is likely to return as head coach next season. Throughout Maury's entire career, we have seen nothing that would indicate that Doc is his preference for head coach, which makes me think ownership has told Daryl that he cannot fire Doc. Rumored Mike D'Antoni noise concerns me and could be a horrible look as Daryl just continues to pursue the Rockets' glory days. Maybe ownership could avoid this. Josh Harrison Co. also could be trying to keep the payroll down for a rumored sale of a team, which is a Pandora's box in itself. I'd love to know what you guys think because this offseason is starting to feel incredibly pivotal as seemingly is every offseason in determining Maury's future with the Sixers. I think Daryl will be here longer than the owners will be here. Mm, what a take. Good take. I just don't think, I think they've, they've, they know and feel the chaos that, has surrounded the Sixers for a long time. And they chased Daryl pretty much right away when they got here. He said no. Um, and then they got him. And now this is the like, this is our guy. We're riding with our guy. I don't think, I think they'll either, 
it'll either be they're gone before him or he'll retire and like actually retire this time. I just think this is this is their guy and they're like, we don't we trust him more than we trust ourselves, I think. Maybe I mean they might disagree. I don't think he's got a leash on him. I think maybe they're you know, they could be pinching money wise more than I would like them to or Daryl would like them to, but I think I think this is I think Daryl's here for for a really long time. It's a good take. I hadn't thought of it. I I would agree that I think it is incredibly possible that he's here longer than the owners, which I think says as much about the owners as it does about him for me. I don't think he's got a short leash with the Sixers. I think he could be here as long as he wants to be here. But I do think that his reputation and legacy are at a crossroads over the next two years. And there have been a lot of general managers who have had down times and they're they're, they're, the way that they are thought of doesn't change, but I think it could with Daryl. And I think I, mostly because he's, he's friendly to a lot of press, but a lot of other GMs are annoyed by him and some like he's, he's very out there. Right. And I think if this goes bad, which it could, right. If, if he goes and signs Harden to four years, 125 million or something and, and Harden never adjusts and continues his decline. And, you know, like this, this might not go great. And I think given the fact that he just traded for the guy that he already had, um, I don't know if it's fair entirely because I do think he was given a, a pretty, a pretty tough deck in a lot of ways, but I think it could change the way that he is thought of as a GM. Like, I think it could be legacy affecting for him if this doesn't go well, but I think he also, I would guess that he's here for five more years, four years, something like that. That would be my guess. Yeah. He's, he has escaped. We've talked about this on a number of points. He has escaped a ton of criticism for the Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade. Yep. And, Part of that is the same dance that we did with the Hinky Porzingis thing mm-hmm. of like, well, it was somebody else that really wanted it and he didn't. But like, he's one of the most powerful GMs and has been. And maybe the people say his heart wasn't in it, blah, blah, blah. But like, he still made the trade. And I think he would tell you, like, I fucked up. That was a bad trade. That was, a, I mean, it was a really bad trade. It wasn't Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, it was Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul and a number of picks. Mm hmm. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I was gonna say maybe he did that knowing he was going to leave or whatever. I don't think that's probably true. I think he thought it was going to work or hoped it would work or, you know, trusted Harden or whatever the, the fuck that it would have worked because Harden and Chris Paul didn't get along, but that's bad. I mean, so if, if, if things go bad here and, and beat eventually asks out, which I don't think it will happen, but if he gives Harden this like massive, massive contract, more than like you know three years, a hundred million kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, if he gives him a big ass contract and he doesn't get better than he was last year, and they they continue to go nowhere and don't get out of the second round, then like absolutely his his reputation would deserve to take a hit. Like if Joel Embiid is the guy that we think he is, one of the best players in the league, finished second in MVP voting in back to back years, then this team needs to have more success. And if Daryl is as good of a GM as people you know consider him to be as we consider him to be mm-hmm. like he's got to deliver on that and it, it kind of doesn't matter that like oh there were like circumstances that qu- weren't quite right and they had to trade away this stuff they had to trade a pick to get out of al horford and then all this and and the josh richardson whatever blah 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 and then ben didn't play like it's there's always shit every organization has shit and and if he's good enough 
and he's got to make it work. And so his his reputation would deserve to take a hit if he doesn't like if this team doesn't seriously contend in the next three years. Like actually, legitimately, I I would consider the Sixers being like around contention since 2017, but they haven't broken out the second round, so that it doesn't seem to be as real as as we want it to be. So if they don't break out of the second round, like legitimately in the next three years, then like his reputation deserves to like go down. Yeah, I would say so too. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> and and Daryl, if you have like a room at your house and you want me to stay there so that sway public. So that opinion. like yeah, so I so I am less critical than then great. Then we'll have a nice time. We can I'm I'm sure we'd have a delightful time. Sure, I'll be like, Mike, what's that is that a James Harden painting in the background of your <laughs> Where are you? I'm with I'm with uh, CJ's girlfriend's parents. Um uh, <laughs> and he it just loves James Harden, I guess. <laughs> we will uh We'll talk to you uh, next pod. The, yeah. We actually have just, just a yeah. quick thing. I know you care as well, but the uh, for everybody on South Street last night, the shooting uh, seemed horrible, and uh, just hope everybody's okay. That was there. If there are any listeners or anything that listening to this that were there, just it's fucking sucks and a lot of empathy, and we just can't keep living like this with these fucking guns, man. The you know South Street. I remember like South Street was my first introduction to like. Philadelphia for real, you know, like hanging out on South Street. Zipperhead was there at the time and going to shows on South Street. And um, it it is like one of the places in Philadelphia that tourists go to as well. And like the, uh, to see, um, obviously seeing these things happen in places not like that is awful, but seeing it happen at places like that should be a wake up call to people, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was, a, um, there was a shooting in LA a couple weeks ago that, we had been there like an hour before. Mm-hmm. It's just like when it, when it's, it always feels like very, it feels scary when you're looking at it and it's a place you don't recognize. And then it's like, you're looking at it like a, literally a seat at a coffee shop that was where, like where I was sitting, like, you know, right. recently before it's and, and like a bar that you've been to a bunch of times. It's just, it's just scary, man. These fucking guns. It's, it's infuriating. Um, yeah. I mean, I have been, the TLA is two blocks away from there. I've been in that place a hundred times for, yeah. for shows. Um, all right, we will anyway, talk. Oh, I'm sorry. Go Warriors. Go not Celtics. Yeah, yeah please. Uh, and it's our fault if uh, if they lose. One quick thing about the finals. I hesitate to say this, but if you're 63 minutes into a Sixers podcast in June, like <laughs> chances are you're not a hockey guy. I genuinely can't stand when hockey people talk about hockey playoffs being better than basketball playoffs. Just fucking enjoy your hockey. I Shut the fuck up. But one thing they do have a point with is there's no reason why the NBA final shouldn't be every other day. It, it shouldn't be two nights in between games. Game two should have been last night. Like just the stretching out of it is like painful every other day. The series should be every other day. It's one thing that hockey has, right? Hmm. So don't you think? Sure. Yeah. I don't feel strongly about it, but yeah, I did watch, uh, there was a double overtime flames game that I watched that I enjoyed. So Maybe I am a hockey guy. The Rangers get a double overtime and I'm there. Rangers up two zero. Um, New York is is uh, excited and two first place baseball teams. New York is pretty excited right now. The, the, the hockey is hard to tell who's actually good too. <laughs> I sound like an asshole now, but it, it really is tough to tell. So maybe that's why all the games are close because all the teams are exactly the same. Who knows? Sure. We'll talk to you later this week. Are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know, like this. If you don't fuck with me, 
then I, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! That's a friend.